personal electro-dossier that I've been to many Buddhist centers for Dharma talks. And sometimes I get disappointed. Why? Because uh, some centers, uh, they invite a monk for a Dharma talk uh, just to fill a slot in their activities. <laughs> They're not really interested in the Dhamma. Their knowledge of the Dhamma is so shallow. Even the leaders of the Buddhist society there, their knowledge of the Nikayas, the Suttas, is nothing to speak of. So, that's why nowadays I don't go around giving Dhamma talks. And I prefer this Q&A. I prefer this Q&A because uh, if you ask a question, then it shows uh, that you have some interest and some knowledge, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and some doubts. Uh. So it's better because uh, I know what your interest is, what your doubts are, and I can try to clear it up. Uh, yeah. mm. Okay, we have uh, three or four questions here. Does anybody want to ask a verbal question first? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Thank you, Venerable Sir. Um, My question is very straightforward. Now, if a loved one passes on... Say again? If a a loved one passes on, a family member passes on, um, is it possible or are there indications of perhaps which realm he or she has been reborn into? That's my question. If a person passes away, uh, which realm he or she has been born into, uh, uh, it's not so easy to tell. uh, But there are certain cases uh, where it may be obvious. uh, uh, I have heard of a case of one of our devotees in Penang. He was uh, quite a devoted Buddhist. uh, He meditated practiced the Dhamma, he used to go regularly to do dhana and all that. Nah? So, uh, shortly before he passed away, yeah, one day the wife had to go to the market or something nah, and then ask the neighbors to come and look after him for a few hours. Nah? And the neighbors were Christians. Nah? And it seems later they said, nah, that they saw these uh, like heavenly beings uh, coming through the window, coming to make offerings to him. Uh, this is very rare. So uh, from there, you can probably say uh, quite definitely uh, that he has hit that he will go to the heavenly realm. Then there is another case uh, of uh, one of our devotees told me uh, the auntie. Uh, uh, it was a person who had a very nasty temper and very unpleasant personality. So much so that the children put her in a nursing home because she was very hard to look after. And she used to go into a fit, a rage that she could not control. And just about two days before, I think many of you have heard my talk about this, Two days before she passed away, she went into this rage. They they could not control her, so they 
gave her an injection to put her to sleep. And then when she fell asleep, two Dracula teeth came out. And the, the nursing home, they called the children. So the children came to see. And this devotee of ours happened to pass by and then saw the relative scars there. So he also rushed in, he thought the auntie passed away. And he also saw, to his shock, two Dracula teeth. And they tried to cover the mouth, could not, because the teeth was quite long and obvious. So that two teeth remained for the two days. But after that she passed away. The moment she passed away, the two teeth disappeared. It shows that she was reborn as this fierce type of ghost with the Dracula teeth. Ghosts also got many types. So, and then there are some, there are some people, they do very heavy karma. So, they, before they die, you can see that they are going to the hell realm. They are constantly weeping and behaving in a way that shows they regret very much the actions they did. So these are some of the cases. And also, there are some after they pass away, there are signs that they come back. This is quite common. That's why we Chinese believe that on the seventh night they come back. Yeah, Because sometimes they come back, you can hear footsteps, you cannot see anybody. You can hear the door opening and closing or the lights. Uh, or even uh, if they have a particular smell, uh, like old ladies, uh, uh, always using the hong yu, then the, the oil, uh, then when they come back, you can get that smell. Uh, so it's obvious that that person comes back. And if that is so, uh, uh, it should mean that that person comes back as a ghost. Uh, because generally only ghosts come back. Uh, mm. That is quite common. That's why uh, we believe that uh, most human beings, after we pass away, uh, will go into the ghost realm. Okay. Any other question? Verbal question preferred? Uh, Venerable Sir, in one of your CDs, you mentioned about human beings going to the heavenly realms if they are very blessed. But I was told that in the heavenly realms, uh, your blessing can be used up, so you'll come back to earth. Mm. Is there any other realms where we go there, practice, and go further up, further up until we come Buddhahood? Oh, yes, yes. But uh, in the suttas, the Buddha said, there is a difference between Aryans, those who follow the Dhamma, and those uh, external sect people. So the Buddha gave an example that, uh, uh, say, like uh, meditators, uh, an external sect, ascetic, uh, by practicing the jhanas, uh, may be reborn in the jhana heavens. uh, And, uh, say, a Buddhist, uh, also practicing the jhanas, uh, get reborn also in that heaven. Uh, the difference between the two of them is that after they pass away from there, the external ascetic uh, will come down. But the uh, Buddhist, uh, the Aryan, uh, can go up. 
So um, another case is that uh, they may the the Aryan may come down as a human being, uh, and then uh, practice uh, and enter nibbana or go up to heaven, maybe the anagami heaven, uh, the fourth jhana plane, and then from there enter nibbana. So in other words. In order to do that, you still have to do meditation. Without meditation, you cannot go anywhere. Is that not exactly? Because uh, if you, depending on what level you want to attain, uh, if you want to attain sotapanna, uh, my personal view uh, is that uh, jhana is not necessary, uh, because uh, evidence from the Suttas and the Vinaya shows that uh, many ordinary people uh, who were not meditators, uh, the Buddha said, uh, when they heard the Dhamma and understood, uh, they attained stream entry. Uh, yeah. mm. And the Buddha also said, uh, let an intelligent man come to me. Uh, I will teach him the Dhamma and he will, he will understand. If he understands, that means has attained right view. If he has attained right view, uh, he's entered the stream. Yeah? So people who become sotapanna or, or, or just enter the stream, uh, the first path, uh, two types of persons. One is uh, who has attained jhana. Another person uh, uh, may not have attained jhana in this life, uh, but is uh, born very intelligent. If he's born intelligent, uh, that shows... Uh, in a previous life, I may have meditated, may have attained jhana. Yeah? Mm. But if you want to get uh, the second fruit uh, or the second path, Sakatagamin, uh, uh, you don't need perfect samadhi. Perfect samadhi in the Buddha's teachings uh, is the uh, four jhanas, basically the fourth jhana. The fourth jhana. So, imperfect samadhi. Uh, is uh, first to the third jhana, first jhana, second jhana, third jhana. So I think uh, that the uh, Sakadagamin uh, needs uh, the first or the second or the third jhana. Mm. But the Anagamin and the Arahana definitely, according to the suttas, uh, need the fourth jhana. Mm. That's why Anagamins are reborn in the Sudavasa abodes. Uh, that is the uh, fourth jhana plane. Mm. So, uh, pure vegetarian practicing meditation all along for many years. Then they suddenly uh, go into non-vegetarian. Can they continue practicing meditation? Yes, of course. Because the Buddha and his disciples were not vegetarian. Mm. Only later books said that they were vegetarians. It's quite clear from the suttas and the vinaya that the Buddha and his disciples were not vegetarians. The Buddha said uh, uh, meat is pure if there are three conditions. You don't see, you don't hear, and you don't suspect uh, that it was purposely killed for you. Uh, then it's okay. Because uh, in the vinaya books, uh, the Buddha's disciple Devadatta he wanted to show that he was uh, fit to take over the Buddha's place. So he asked the Buddha, 
to set up five conditions uh, for the monks, uh, for the for the uh, sangha, and one of them was that all monks must become vegetarians, and the Buddha refused. Buddha said no. Buddha said, uh, uh, monks can eat meat uh, if there are three conditions. Uh, and these three conditions apply to lay people also. Because with these three conditions, uh, you don't contribute directly to the killing. Okay? Mm. As far as indirect uh, contribution to the killing, uh, even if you are a vegetarian or so, there is still killing. Because the uh, farmer has to kill worms, has to kill uh, squirrels, uh, rats, and snails, sometimes monkeys. Mm. Uh, what I meant is, this practicing meditator has been a pure, not, uh, pure vegetarian for 15 years. Yes. Practicing meditators. Mm. And then he turns into non-vegetarian. Yes. She still can practice on, right? Yes, I was a vegetarian for about 10 years. Then when I decided to practice what they call the Dutanga, Long Pala, to go and uh, live in uh, wandering and uh, begging for food, then I decided I had to drop the vegetarian practice because when you beg for your food, they are not going to give you vegetarian food. Yeah, Sometimes we beg for the food in Thailand. The whole morning you beg, you only get white rice and one small fish, one small fried fish. You cannot choose. Sometimes you get white rice and one egg. So you cannot choose if you're a beggar. Beggars are not choosers. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Bande, uh, I have uh, four questions. Uh, first question. Um, one uh, by one. Huh? Uh, one by one. Um, we, we know that uh, in Buddhism we have the six senses. Uh, uh, and one of the six senses is the mind. Yeah. And uh, in the five khandhas, we have the body and mind. Yeah. So I wish to know, is this the, the sixth sense mind and the five khandhas mind, are they the same? And if they are not the same, can uh, Bande give some example what makes up the, uh, the sixth sense minds? Uh? For example, if we are hungry or we feel bodily sick, uh, is it uh, which part of the sixth sense organ that, give, that sends this uh, uh, message? Uh? That means it sends this hunger or something like that. Okay, the six senses, uh, the uh, mental partner, the mind uh, is called Mano. Yeah? Mano is supposed to be the thinking mind, the calculating mind. Yeah? Mm. In the uh, five khandhas, uh, we talk about the body, feelings, perception, volition and consciousness. Yeah? This last one uh, is consciousness, yeah? It is not mind. Mind uh, comprises feeling, perception, volition, and consciousness. Yeah? Mm. So, this mind is a very uh, complicated thing, yeah? Because the Buddha used three terms to, when he talks about mind. Uh, he uses citta, mano, and vinyana. Yeah. In the five uh, aggregates, uh, the consciousness is vinyana and is defined as uh, uh, knowing, uh, 
uh, through the senses, uh, the uh, seeing consciousness, the hearing consciousness, etc. Yeah. Mm. Now, if you look carefully uh, into this, uh, the five khandhas, uh, the first one is body, yeah? the second one is feeling. Feeling uh, is a kind of consciousness, isn't it? Yeah. I feel good, uh, I feel happy. Mm. And then uh, perception uh, is also a kind of consciousness, yeah? Mm. And um, volition also is a kind of consciousness. Mm. And then vijnana, consciousness, yeah? Mm. So, we cannot, uh, what do you say, split hairs. It's very difficult, yeah? Sometimes people like to say body and mind, yeah? And you think, uh, to a normal person, uh, body and mind is very different. But not so, you know, in the Buddha's teachings. Because body uh, is supposed to be the four elements, earth, water, fire, wind. But it's not actually earth, water, fire, wind. Earth represents hardness. Yeah, uh, earth, water, water represents fluidity. Yeah, earth, water, fire represents heat, and um, um, the last one is motion. Yeah, earth, water, fire, wind. Wind is represents motion. Now these four things, uh, <clears throat> if you analyze them properly, yeah, uh, the first one, earth hardness, uh, is actually a perception. Yeah, it's a perception. Yeah, for example, this wall. To most of us, the wall is uh, hard, ma. Yeah, because if I try to walk through the wall, I get a bump on my head. Yeah, I get an ache. Ma. But to an arahan who has psychic power, eh, he can walk through the wall. How come? Because his perception is different from yours. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if a person falls into hell, eh, you are burned by the fires of hell. But if an arahan with psychic powers goes into hell, he's cool as a cucumber. He's not affected by the fires of hell. Yeah? How come? His mind is different from yours. Yeah? So these four things uh, that represent uh, materiality, uh, matter, uh, earth, water, fire, wind, uh, are only perceptions. And perception is a kind of consciousness. So basically, yeah, this... Uh, Mind and matter, la. both are actually mind-made, both are actually mental. Mm. This is uh, what the Buddha was trying to say, la, that the whole world la, is actually mind-made. It's all like a dream. And now quantum physics is telling us the same thing. You know? Quantum physics is saying such strange things uh, that all physicists uh, would be astounded, you know. For example, now I look at the wall, I look at this pillar. When I look at it, it exists, you know. If I turn my eyes away from me, it does not exist, you know. This is what quantum physics is saying. In other words, this pillar on the wall, when I look at it, it arises in my consciousness. If I turn away from it, it is no more in my consciousness. It does not exist at all. So, 
quantum physics is telling us uh, what arises in our consciousness uh, is uh, from a vast sea of possibilities uh, a certain thing arises in your consciousness. If you uh, compare with the Buddha's teachings, uh, what arises uh, is conditioned by your past karma. That is why uh, the Buddha is trying to tell us uh, that the world that appears to us uh, is conditioned by our past karma and by your mind. If you have a wholesome mind, uh, as soon as you pass away, uh, a beautiful world appears. If you have an evil mind, the moment you pass away, a painful world appears to you. So, the world that we live in is created by us. So, it is very important that we purify our mind, purify our karma. So, if we, our karma is good, it is it is our karma that protects us. Whatever happens outside, our karma will protect us. We are not affected by it. That's why sometimes when there's a plane crash, so many people die, but a few people survive because their karma is good. So the Buddha's teachings is very profound. Okay. Uh, the second question is, um um, I, I also heard from uh, Bande Tape, actually, uh, I just want to, um, uh, but cannot understand so much. It's regarding the words Bawa, um, uh, which cause rebirth. La. Can uh, Bande um, um, uh, explain further on how Bawa can cause uh, rebirth? How Bawa causes rebirth, uh, independent origination? In my explanation of the twelve links of dependent origination, I was trying to show that these twelve links can be understood in one lifetime. So we are not talking about rebirth. We are talking about birth in this lifetime. So bhava comes somewhere from upadana, clinging or attachment. Suppose now you take the case of a small child. When a small child is born, it's a very simple thing. It's a very simple being. Uh, uh, it only reacts to external stimuli. Yeah? If it's too hot or he's thirsty or hungry, he cries. But he doesn't think. Yeah? As he grows up, uh, you give him things that he likes. For example, a child has never tasted ice cream or chocolate. You give it to him. The first time he tastes it, wow, so wonderful. Then a craving arises, followed by attachment. Craving is like the literal meaning of the word craving. The Pali is tanha. It means a thirst for something. So, when the child tastes uh, ice cream or the chocolate, nah, immediately yeah, this uh, natural reaction nah, is to want more. Yeah? Uh, that is the craving. Nah, yeah? So, he likes it so much, nah, it forms a deep impression in his mind. 
It is what you call it, neural pathway, in its neurons and all that. And this sets up a, a tendency in the mind, a very strong tendency. And we are made out of habit patterns, you know. If we constantly do something, it creates a strong current in our brain, in our neural pathway, that easily is like a groove in a, in a record. If you play, play that record, the needle will be running on the same groove, yeah, by playing the same tune again and again. So this, uh, this in the same way, this uh, strong craving uh, sets, sets up uh, a very strong uh, current in the brain. Uh, and this tendency uh, is the attachment. Uh, every time uh, he remembers that ice cream, uh, I heal one. Uh, every time he remembers, uh, uh, it comes naturally. Uh, mm. If you ask him, what, what, what do you want for your birthday? Uh, immediately... Uh, uh, that thought arises, yeah, chocolate or something. Uh, so this is the attachment. Now, when there is craving and attachment, uh, that I arises very naturally, yeah. I want this. Uh, if I cannot have it, I'll die. Uh, uh, so that I arising uh, is that bhava. Bhava is that I am. Uh, the Buddha always talks about that I am. That I arising. But a small child, uh, you see, there's hardly any ego when it is born, you know. doesn't think, it doesn't have uh, attachments. But as it grows up, uh, there's more and more attachment uh, in the ego. That I uh, arises stronger and stronger. Uh, that's why we say uh, children are naive. Uh, children are innocent. Not an old man. An old man has horns. Huh? <laughs> no attachment. Huh? So this uh, bhava is that I arising, huh? that I am. And once you have that I, huh? and then he realizes huh? that he's born into this world. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's natural. Huh? Yeah. So when you are born into this world, you have that I, yeah? And slowly you realize, oh, my body is growing older. And when sickness arises, I am sick. Yeah. Mm. Without that I, yeah, the, the suffering doesn't come. No? I've taken, for example, the coconut tree. Uh, there is no I. It has a kind of consciousness. Yeah. Because plants, uh, if you uh, put them in a certain place and they know sunlight is in that direction, they will grow towards the sunlight, yeah. Mm. So they have a kind of uh, consciousness. That's why in India, uh, during the Buddha's time, they considered plants to be living beings. That's why the Buddha, out of uh, deference to the uh, public, uh, he did not allow monks to chop trees and all that, uh, because lay people, some lay people were upset. Uh. Mm. So... Uh, once you have that I, that birth follows, uh, the realization that you are born into this world, that you are growing old, that you are getting sick, and all kinds of suffering follows. No? Without that I, uh, there is no birth and, uh, and no suffering. Okay? Mm.
Monday. The third question is regarding anatta. Mm. We know that anatta is basically referred to there's no self. Yeah. So when a person pass away, mm. so um, uh, sometimes we can hear people say that you know they see that someone pass away and they you know saw them coming back or something like that. Mm. So the question here is. Uh, we say that in Buddhism, I, I'm, I'm quite confused. That uh, usually when we say anatta, there's no self. How about soul? Because when a person pass away, we have this body and mind. That means will the body will dissolve? Will dissolve? But how about the mind? Will the mind uh, that that is the part that will be reborn to uh, to a new uh, take a new rebirth? Okay. When a person passes away and uh, Sometimes it's seen to be come to come back, So the question is whether uh, there is a self, there is a soul. Mm-hmm. But the Buddha teaches that there is anatta, no self. This uh, word soul, you have to be careful how you define soul. Just like the word God. Yeah. Some people say uh, Buddhism. In Buddhism, there is no God. Well, it depends on what type of God you're talking about. If you take God to be a living being, then there's no God in Buddhism. But if you take God to be something that's profound, not a living being, something that's unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, then we have a God in Buddhism. Because in the Udana and Ituvutaka, I think, it is said, the Buddha said, uh, there is an unconditioned, there is an unborn, there is uncreated. If there were not an unborn, an uncreated, an unconditioned, uh, there would not be an escape uh, from the born, the conditioned, mm, the created. Uh. So that is our God. The uh, Buddhist God is the unconditioned, the uncreated. You can also call it Nibbana. Uh, yeah. Mm. So this word soul, uh, uh, you have to be very careful uh, the same way. I have looked up the word in the uh, dictionary. uh, And the word soul uh, means uh, something within us uh, uh, that carries on uh, after death. And the dictionary also says uh, that it is presumed to be permanent, to be eternal. uh, Yeah. So the important thing is that this soul uh, is something within us uh, that continues after death. But it is not necessarily permanent and eternal. It's only presumed by some people. Uh, For example, Christians uh, believe that the soul is permanent, everlasting, etc. In Buddhism, you can say that there is a soul. But it is just like the human body. It is impermanent. Because the Buddha says uh, everything uh, in the world uh, is impermanent, uh, is conditioned. Uh, yeah? So when a person passes away, uh, according to the suttas, something leaves the body, uh, something that we don't see. Uh, uh, and it takes rebirth. Uh, yeah? mm. That is why uh, there are some people uh, who remember they're passing away. Uh. There is a book, I forgot, by, I think by Dr. Moody. Uh. 
interviewed about 500 people uh, who passed away uh, for between 10 to 20 minutes, something like that, uh, and then came back to life. Uh. So they talk about their different experiences. Uh. Uh, quite a number, uh, they said they came out of their body, and then, for example, they were sick and suffering. Uh. And uh, when they came out of the body, uh, they were free of their suffering. Uh. And then they saw uh, the nurses and the doctor panic. Uh. And then they sounded the alarm, and then they tried to revive the patient. Uh. And this person who passed away, uh, I tried to stop them. Uh. I said, no need, no need, uh, I, I'm well. <laughs> but they could not see her, they could not hear her. Uh. But later, because of attachment to the family, uh, she came back. Uh. Uh. And then there's uh, some other people uh, who said uh, when they came out of the body, they left the body uh, very fast. Uh, and they were going towards heaven at a very fast speed. Uh, and, but then they also, because of the memory of the past ones, they came back. Uh, so it's a bit similar like the, the in the suttas and the Vinaya. Uh, sometimes the Buddha and his Arahant disciples, uh, during the rainy season, the river is uh, flooded, totally flooded, and people are waiting to cross uh, in the sampans, uh, in the boats. Uh. And then the Buddha and his disciples, they, they stand on this side of the river bank. Uh. In the blink of an eye, uh, they are on the other side of the river. They did fly. The whole body went over there, but so fast. Uh. So probably uh, if a person is, is dead uh, and he is due to be born in heaven, I think the body goes up to heaven very fast like that. Uh. Mm. It's like the experience of some people who died. Um, so there is something, uh, the Buddha said, uh, if a person is going to be reborn in the human womb, that being uh, that has died, uh, it comes out of the body. And uh, the Buddha, in the Majima Nikaya, the Buddha calls it a Gandaba. There are some people who remember in the, in the past uh, that they died. Uh, and they said they came out of their body and they were only a few inches high. And they didn't know where to go, you know. And they walked around. And sometimes they said, nah, they saw human beings uh, spit. Nah. And then they run away because they were afraid the spit saliva go on their head. Nah. Uh, or somebody pee. Nah. Also they run away. Uh, so, one of these persons, uh, he mentioned uh, that uh, after some time, uh, she saw this maid uh, coming back from the market. Nah, and this maid... Nah, uh, work for her sister, carrying this uh, what this uh, lamb, this uh, basket. So this this fellow, uh, he jumped on the basket, jumped into the basket, and he should ride home. La. He was born as the sister's uh, son, reborn as a sister's son. Mm. Probably the sister was pregnant or what. So he managed to get in. So obviously, uh, there is something. La. Of course, the Abhidharma does not agree to this. The Abhidharma says that when a person dies, the consciousness here stops. Then if he's reborn in the womb there, the consciousness there starts. There is nothing that travels from here to there. It contradicts the Buddha's teachings because the Buddha says that being has to wait, you know, wait for the right time for the mother and father to come together and that egg is, uh, is fertilized. Mm. So, in Buddhism, we have this soul, but this soul is impermanent, just like the human body. It's only a temporary state. That's why in the suttas, it is said that if your karma is so bad, 
that you are going to be reborn in hell, uh, the hell beings will come up and drag this person down to hell. So what are they dragging? They're not dragging your body. They're dragging your soul. Uh, so the only thing to be careful is the soul in uh, the Buddha's teachings uh, is not a permanent entity. It's just a, a impermanent uh, flux of energy uh, like everything else in the world. The last question, um, uh, this is regarding the uh, the Sixth Noble Eightfold Power, which is uh, right mindfulness. Um, the Sixth. Uh, so now, every day, uh, or most of the time, we heard of uh, inside uh, meditations or, or mindfulness meditation. Uh. In our daily life, um, I also heard a Bande uh, talk uh, uh, that, you know, um, uh, there is no such thing as uh, insight meditation as taught by the Buddha. And uh, uh, the Buddha only taught Sama Samadhi. So, uh, but also there is this uh, right mindfulness. Uh. In fact, I'm, I'm also quite confused, Bande. So, how to practice this right mindfulness in our daily life? So, you're confused between that right mindfulness as a factor the sixth factor la, of yes, the Noble Eightfold Path and general mindfulness. La. General mindfulness. And how to practice if there is a... Uh, uh, we know about this, this uh, right mindfulness has the sixth factor and okay. how to practice it. Uh. And how to practice it. In the suttas, uh, the Buddha talked about sati sampajanya. Okay? This word sati uh, is derived from a word that means to remember. Yeah. Mm. So when you look into samasati, yeah, the way to practice samasati, if you call it right mindfulness, yeah, is to remember to be mindful of four objects. Yeah. The four objects of sati. The important thing yeah, is to remember. Okay. Then Sampajanya. Sampajanya means uh, mindfulness or awareness. Okay. If we look into Noble Eightfold Path, uh, we find uh, a Sati is a component of the Noble Eightfold Path. Yeah. But Sampajanya is not a component of the Noble Eightfold Path. Yeah. Mm. So Sati is more important than Sampajanya. Sati is more important than mindfulness. So for a monk, uh, he has to constantly uh, put his attention on the four objects of sati, uh, the body, feelings, mind, and dhamma. Because the Buddha says uh, that if he does not put his attention on these four things, uh, the mind will stray into Mara's realm, Mara's domain, which is the six senses. And the, Bud- the Buddha warned uh, that the Mara, the evil one, uh, can catch us uh, if we stray into the six senses. How? By enticing us, uh, seducing us uh, with beautiful forms, beautiful sounds, etc. That's why we have to remember uh, to not to go into these six senses, but to put our attention on these four things. Yeah? Mm. And then in the description of Sampajanya, if you look carefully, uh, 
the Buddha said, uh, when a monk is walking, he knows he's walking. When he's sitting, he knows he's sitting. When he's uh, standing, he knows he's standing. When he's lying down, he knows he's lying down. When he's eating, he knows he's eating. When he's drinking, when he's wearing his robe, etc., whatever actions he knows, uh, uh, he knows it. Yeah. If you look at this description carefully, uh, you will find uh, that it is not general mindfulness. It is mindfulness uh, directed to the body. Why mindfulness directed to the body? Because uh, whenever we are mindful of the body, uh, we are in the here and now. If our mind strays uh, and thinks, how can we say, thinking east, thinking west, uh, then we forgot about our here and now already, you know, we are daydreaming. Yeah? Yeah. That is why uh, it is important uh, to be mindful of our body. The moment we are mindful of our body, uh, we come back to the here and now. We don't what in Chinese called Ta Wang Xiang. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So, for lay people, uh, mindfulness practice uh, is to be mindful of whatever you are doing. Uh, because whatever you are doing, uh, you are in the here and now. Ma. Yeah? Don't start thinking of this and thinking of that. No? Just be mindful of whatever you are doing. No? Uh, and you'll be in the here and now. No? Mm. But for a person who is practicing to get out of samsara, then he has to practice the sati la, to uh, put his attention on these four things. La. If you are a working person, la, that is not possible. Yeah, If you are working, uh, you must be mindful of your job. Mm. If you are cutting vegetables and you are thinking of something else, you might cut your finger. Yeah, uh, I'm walking on the street, la, you are thinking of something, you might bump your head into a pole. Yeah, I fall into a dream. Yeah. Mm. So, we are talking about lay people. Huh? Just be mindful of whatever you are doing. Huh? Mm. So, Bande, meaning to say that for a lay person like us, huh, mm. if we were to practice uh, uh, right uh, concentration or right mindfulness, huh, um, we just have to be uh, uh, mindful of what we are doing. How about let's say if we uh, let's say when after office hour or whatever we be, we you know we we uh, become mindful of the four foundations of the mindfulness, how would that contribute to? That means of course during working time we concentrate with our job we be mindful of our work lah. But in the uh, um, uh, in the teaching of the Buddha, maybe this is not what the Buddha is saying now. We should be mindful of the four foundation of mindfulness. So what I mean is that as a lay person, how should we practice uh, correctly uh, for this right mindfulness? I mean this four foundation. Where, how should we practice? Or, or, or should I say after office hour at home or during weekend, we can practice it or how? Are, are you talking about trying to practice to get out of samsara? Uh, uh, practicing the Noble Eightfold Path? Yeah, uh, practicing as a, for, as part of the Noble Eightfold Path. Lah. Okay, the spiritual path, uh, yeah. or the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, in practicing it, uh, two things are extremely important. Uh, one is the theory, the other is the practice. Uh. The theory is listening to the Dhamma, the five Nikayas, the five collections of early discourses of the Buddha. Uh. So, I usually tell people uh, that uh, if you want to meditate, uh, 
I do it when you get up in the morning. So if you want to meditate one hour, then you get up one hour earlier so that you can meditate. Because in the early morning, that's the best time of the day to meditate because you are refreshed after a good night's sleep. And also people are sleeping. There's not much sound around. But when you come back from work, you're tired. It's not a good time to meditate. And also, if you meditate at night, you might get a good state of meditation, then the whole night you cannot sleep. So, after work, it's best to spend your time listening to the suttas. Then the rest of the day, you try to practice your sila, your generosity, your compassion and all that. That's all. Thank you. Pandey, thank you. Pandey, um, this uh, jhana has actually been described uh, as the footprint of the Buddha. And the Buddha has, uh, on numerous occasions, uh, encouraged um, uh, his disciples uh, to abide in jhana. Uh, so from, from, from these um, um, passages, uh, we, we actually understand you know, that jhana is something that should be encouraged and should be, that we should develop. But um, I actually noticed that uh, nowadays there are actually various interpretations as to what jhana is. Uh, there are actually some bhantes who actually um, describe jhana you know, as a state of absorption, you know, where you, know, you actually concentrate on, the, on a single point to the, to the level of um, developing a nimitta. And you, know, you try to enter jhana through nimitta, which is described as a doorway to jhana. And in this stage, uh, your sixth sense doors are actually closed, you know, which means you are, you are is uh, non-percipient. You, know, you don't know what actually happens at the sixth sense doors. And one actually has to withdraw from uh, this jhana state, uh, this, absorbs, uh, this deep absorption state in order to, you know, to embark onto vipassana. Uh, but then again, when I actually read what Ajahn Chah says, Ajahn Chah says that jhana essentially is stillness of mind, you know, where the mind is actually calm and composed and it doesn't move, you know, despite the ups and downs of, um, of life. Um, it's like, you know, he's saying that jhana is a state, you know, it's like a, it's like a deep, clear, uh, pool, you know. So, uh, this, essentially these are very, you know, uh, very contrasting descriptions of what jhana is. Um, so basically, I'd just like to um, ask Bhante to describe exactly you know, what jhana entails, because nowadays there are many conflicting views uh, you know, what jhana essentially is. And I think in the sutta also, I understand that um, there, was a, there was actually a sutta where the Buddha was, was actually in, you know, in, the, in a deep jhanic state, but he could still be aware, you know, of, uh, you know, this blockad, you know, this many blockads that actually, um, that actually went past him, you know, during the night, you know, and he, he was fully aware in the state of, in the state of jhana. So I just want, I just would like, uh, Bhante to just give us a better, uh, understanding insight as to what jhana is, uh, based on the scriptures. Okay. So you want me to clarify the state of jhana? Firstly, the Sutta Jhana is different from the Visuddhi Maga Jhana. 
Burmese monks uh, tend to teach from the Visuddhi Marga. The pure Vipassana teaching uh, is also derived from the Visuddhi Marga. And the jhana that they teach nowadays, uh, the Burmese monks teach, uh, is also from the Visuddhi Marga jhana. And this Visuddhi Marga jhana is, as you say, uh, it's a state of absorption uh, where they are not aware of anything except the light. Uh. Mm. The Buddha's jhana is different. The Buddha's jhana is divided into rupa jhana and arupas or arupa jhana. Rupa jhana of form jhana is a state uh, when a monk is absorbed in it. Uh, it is also an absorption. It's absorbed on the object of meditation. Yeah, and you have these jhana factors. Okay, the first jhana is not so strong. It's not so concentrated. As you go higher jhana, it becomes more and more concentrated. But these rupa jhanas, when a person is in a state of rupa jhana. The five senses have not closed. So just now you mentioned about the uh, hearing the 500 horses pass by. Yeah? That is not actually the Buddha. In the Sutta, it is somebody who was praising an external sect ascetic and was saying that this external sect ascetic, uh, his meditation is so good uh, that you are sitting absorbed in his meditation and 500 Horses went by, also he was not aware of it. Then the Buddha asked him to compare that state with the Buddha state. The Buddha said that once he was meditating in a kuti in the forest, he was deep in meditation, and thunder, lightning crash, and thunder roared, and trees were falling. So much uh, that uh, cows were killed by the trees, uh, for, by the falling trees. And the Buddha was not aware of all these things. Uh. And after the storm, when the Buddha came out of his state of meditation, uh, then he saw so many people also excited and trying to retrieve the dead cows and all that and fallen trees. Then the Buddha asked what happened. Then they said there was a huge storm uh, with thunder crashing and all this thing. Uh, and... Uh, Ask him, were you not aware of it? Were you asleep? First they asked him, were you asleep? And the Buddha said, I was not asleep. Then, uh, then, uh, then they realized the Buddha was in deep meditation. So the Buddha was not aware of this. So uh, this is the arupa. When a person attains the arupa state, uh, the five sense doors close. Uh, and then the mind expands, uh, expands to like boundless space. And then higher is boundless consciousness and nothingness, etc. So that is the Sutta Jhana. But unfortunately nowadays there are some monks, they use the some of this description of the Jhanas in the Suttas to say that Jhana is just a state of stillness. And when you enter that state of jhana, you can still contemplate this and contemplate that, but not in my opinion. In my opinion, if you enter the state of jhana, it's a state of absorption. But 
even though it's a state of absorption, it's a state where the mind is very, very aware. You are never as mindful as when you are in a state of jhana. Extremely clear mind. Whatever happens in the mind, you are aware. That's why in the Anupada Sutta, Vajimanikaya 111, I think, Sariputta uh, was said uh, to be in the states of jhana and all the various states that arose uh, in his mind was clearly aware of them. But even though when a person is in that state, uh, he's aware of all these things, uh, but he cannot use the mind to think. Cannot use the mind to think. Just knows only. Mm. Otherwise, it's not jhana. If you can uh, use the mind to 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 contemplate this and contemplate that, nah. you are not in the state. That's why the, the the second jhana is called the state of the Aryan silence. In the first jhana, when a person attains the first jhana, the mind is still capable nah, of what the Buddha calls uh, wholesome thoughts. Nah. For example, if a person attains the first jhana, delight arises, pity, pity is delight. And sukha is bliss. Great bliss arises, yeah, with that one pointedness of mind also. So, he suddenly thinks, I must remember the steps I took to attain this state so that I can repeat it. That kind of thinking he can have. That is in the first jhana. But in the second jhana, even that also cannot. A normal mind, you will have thoughts going in your mind. Like a monologue, la. Uh, your mind is chattering inside. But in the second jhana, the state, the mind is so strong, la, and so aware, you you cannot you cannot use the mind to think at all. You are just aware only. So from the second jhana upwards, uh, you you cannot have any thinking. That's why no more vitaka vichara. Okay. Does it mean that uh, one actually has to withdraw from the jhana? Oh yes, definitely. You have to come out. Come out from a jhana state mm-hmm. before one starts to contemplate. Yes. On... But when a person comes out of the state of jhana, the mind is still as concentrated uh, as when he was in that jhana state. That's why he can use it. He has such a clear mind uh, that when he uses it, uh, he can understand uh, the Buddha says, uh, when he directs his mind to whatever he wants to know, uh, he can know. Especially in the fourth jhana. Uh, the uh, translation of this word jhana, uh, many years ago, uh, was uh, like trance. Trance uh, is the opposite of trance. Uh. Trance is a state uh, where you are like, yeah, bodo bodo, you are controlled by some other being, and, uh, you know, yeah, blur blur. But the state of jhana is the opposite. In the um, fourth jhana, the sutta says, when a person attains the fourth jhana, is a state of utter purity of sati and upeka. You are perfectly if you use, if you translate sati as mindfulness, uh, you are perfectly mindful at the fourth jhana. And the, the equanimity is also perfect. Uh. When a person comes out of the fourth jhana, the mind is so clear uh, that when he wants to recollect his past lives, uh, he can. 
Uh, the Buddha said, uh, that's why Arahants, they can recollect their past lives. Uh, not only a hundred, a thousand, even more. Mm. So the Buddha said, when a person comes out of the fourth jhana, when he walks, uh, he's like walking in heaven. When he's standing, he's like standing in heaven. When he lies down, he's like, like lying down in heaven. That, that state uh, persists for some time. Let me read this uh, this question in black and white now. Many Buddhist families face the problems of their children becoming Christians by marriage. Before the marriage, the other party normally says, you can continue to follow whatever religion you are following, and we should not try to convert each other. However, after marriage, the one who is a Christian will slowly try to convince the other party to switch in a very diplomatic way. When the non-Christian is facing difficulties in his life, he will be convinced to go to church and to pray to Jesus for help. After a few sessions, he realizes that his problems have been answered by his prayer to, to Jesus. As a result, he is convinced to change his religions. Once this happens, he will try to convince his parents to follow him. He does it step by step. The first step is giving Christian literature to his parents to read. Following this, he tells his parents to return all Buddhist books and CDs to the temple. The next step is to tell the parents to go to church on Sunday. When the parents do not want to go, he told his parents that his pastor said that he is a failure in life because he is unable to convert them to Christianity. This statement of being a failure in life hurts the mother very much as the son never realized that the parents cared for him from the time was born till he is now a fairly well-paid executive in an international company. We in the BMS bookshop have received many good books, such as those from the Wheels publication and Bodhi Leaves publication from these people when they told us the reasons for the return of these books. For the purpose of discussion, what can these parents do to overcome such situation? This morning I had to give a short uh, talk uh, at the uh, Theravada Council meeting. Uh, then I said uh, that the problem, one of the big problems uh, uh, Buddhism faces uh, is that many Buddhists uh, do not understand the real Dhamma of the Buddha. I said uh, Buddhism in Chinese is called Fo Chiao, what the Buddha taught. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people don't study or listen to the suttas in the five nikayas. So what they, uh, what they understand of Buddhism uh, is not really Buddhism or it's a uh, Chapalang Buddhism uh, mix. Uh. And uh, when they teach to others, they are also teaching this Chapalang Buddhism, uh, which the Buddha calls uh, fake goal in Sangyutta Nikaya. Uh, so don't go around selling fake gold. Uh, you must sell real gold, uh, which is the suttas of the Buddha. So many of our Buddhists, uh, they are not really versed in the suttas. Uh, so their understanding of Buddhism is so shallow uh, that it can be easily converted. So it is the responsibility of good Buddhists uh, to know the true Dhamma. If you know the true Dhamma of the Buddha, uh, you will realize how beautiful it is. As I mentioned this morning, it's a super religion compared to other religions in terms of theory and practice. As far as theory is concerned, now science is confirming what the Buddha said, which is not found in other religions. The Buddha said time has no beginning and no end. Other religions obviously say time has a beginning. Yeah, 
And the Buddha also said, space is boundless. And now only they realize space is boundless. Uh, even the Buddha described the way the world is going to end. Mm-hmm. Talking about expanding world systems and contracting world systems, etc. Mm. So, it is a responsibility uh, of all good Buddhists uh, to listen to the five Nikayas. Uh. I have given talks on the five Nikayas. If you don't have the CD, uh, you contact us. Uh, we'll be happy to give you the five Nikaya CDs. Uh. Uh, then uh, you can teach the younger generation. Uh. Nowadays, the problem with a lot of uh, Malaysian Chinese uh, is that they don't have a good grounding in religion. Uh. So slowly, uh, they lose their numbers to other religions. Uh. Other religions uh, uh, sometimes are a bit fanatical about converting people. We are not fanatical about converting people. We have to convert our own people first. <laughs> From reading the Nikayas, we know that we have lived different lives in the past, going back to millions of past lives. Each time a different form, such as humans, devas, ghosts, animals, and hell beings. When we ask the question, who am I or what am I? We cannot really answer these questions due to the different forms we have in the past. What is the real answer for this? The real answer is that we are dreaming. When you dream, you can dream of yourself as a human being, as a deva, as a ghost, everything. Yeah? The Buddha uh, said, nah, that the only reality is Nibbana. The world is not real. It's only virtual reality. Uh, if you go and study uh, quantum physics, uh, it's exactly what quantum physics is saying also. In our bookshop, we are distributing two books and title, Anyone Can Go to Heaven, Just Be Good, and A Life Full of Blessings. Bhante has advised us that the book Anyone Can Go to Heaven, Just Be Good is not suitable for Buddhists. Our devotees want to know what are the reasons for saying that it is not suitable for Buddhists, but it is for the Christians. What is your opinion on the other book, A Life Full of Blessings? Well, firstly, I did not say that it is uh, not suitable for Buddhists. Uh, it depends on what level of Buddhists we are talking about. There are many Buddhists uh, who don't understand Buddhism. So this kind of booklet uh, is, a, is a good uh, because uh, then uh, it strengthens your faith uh, in Buddhism that you uh, that a Singapore lawyer uh, can write this booklet. Uh. Of course it is uh, also good for non-Buddhists uh, but uh, it is good for ignorant Buddhists uh, as a first step. Uh. And then after that uh, slowly they can have more interest to, to, to learn about the Dhamma, about the suttas and all that. Mm. The other book is just as good, Life of Blessings. If there is no self in the Buddhist way of seeing things, who or what is getting reborn? Who or what gets the results of good and bad deeds? Uh, this, if you look into the suttas, huh? the Buddha said, I didn't say uh, somebody and gets the good uh, and the, the 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 result of good and bad deeds. The Buddha said, "If I said that somebody uh, gets the good or result of uh, good and bad deeds, uh, then uh, this and this uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya, I think. Mm. So um, the dreamer uh, is getting the result of the good and bad dreams. <laughs> Just like when we are dreaming at night, uh, everything is so real, isn't it?" 
It's as real as now, ma. Yeah? Uh, just that sometimes we have pleasant dreams, sometimes we have nightmares, frightening night- nightmares. But when you wake up in the morning, then you realize, oh, why was I so frightened? Why was I so excited? It's only a dream. But while, if the dream persists, uh, as long as the dream persists, uh, you don't know it's a dream. Uh, yeah? It's only when you wake up only you know it's a dream. So right now we are in that state. Uh, we are dreaming. The Buddha is the awakened one. We are the dreamers. Mm. Any other question? Honorable Bhante, I have two questions, sir. The first question is, for those who abide by the precepts in theory and practical, will they be stream enterers? And my second question is... Would people who abide by the precepts be stream enterers? Well, they need to abide by the precepts uh, to become stream enterers. But just abiding by the precepts uh, does not mean that they will automatically become stream enterers. Because there are some good Christians, there are some good Muslims, there are some good Hindus who abide by the precepts. But because they don't know the Dhamma, they don't become stream enterers. You enter the stream when you understand the Dhamma. Uh, when you understand the Four Noble Truths, then the Buddha say that you have attained the vision of the Dhamma. Then you become a different person. You start to let go. You change your direction in life. Sir, my second question is, I'm aware of unseen guests in my house. This has been happening quite some time. But apparently I'm the only one who sees this or hears this. Not much of seeing but hearing. Off lately, when I woke up one morning, I heard the chair moving. I thought it was my husband or my daughter. But the lights were not on, only where I was. Then I let that go. But off re- recently, there was a very prominent knock on my door. When I asked my husband whether he knocked the door, he said no. I asked my daughter, she said no. Way back in 2004, I lost my father and a very good friend. But it was my father who always came in my dream. Even yesterday, he appeared in my dream. Come Saturday, 5th of July, will be his 10th, 10 years of him passing away. So is there any sign, sir, that you can tell me that I could do and the causes of this happening in my home? Thank you. So we have been um, getting visits by an unseen being and you get dreams of your father. Yeah, It is uh, possible uh, and maybe probable uh, that this being that comes back is your father. Because in the Buddha's teachings, uh, most beings, uh, after they pass away, or most humans, uh, after we pass away, you go into the ghost realm. And when somebody goes into the ghost realm, uh, that person is suffering uh, and he needs help. Uh, and uh, he will come to the person uh, whom he thinks uh, is more likely to help him. Uh. Mm. So if, lo- if your father uh, is closer to you than your other siblings, uh, your father will come to you. Uh. So the Buddha said, uh, 
that we can only help our departed relative uh, if that person is born in the ghost realm. Mainly, I think, because only ghosts can come back. So, uh, how do we help ghosts? Uh, there's, uh, firstly, the most important thing they need is food. Secondly, is uh, clothing. So, I suggest uh, that you, when you go back, uh, to light some incense uh, and uh, inform uh, inform your father and also other departed relatives uh, whom you may have forgotten that you want to do dana on their behalf uh, to help them. Uh. So you could uh, burn this incense for like three nights uh, and you tell them you're going to do this dana on a certain day. Uh. So when you go to this uh, a temple where there are a few monks, uh, uh, then you make the offering. At the moment you make the offering, you think of your, all your departed relatives uh, and then uh, transfer the merit to them. And after you come home, you can still repeat it at night uh, because ghosts come out at night. Uh. I tell you some interesting uh, stories uh, recently. Uh, there's one devotee in Penang. He has started to listen to my Dharma talks. Uh, and he liked it very much. Uh, so he contacted me. Then he told me uh, that uh, these uh, uh, the things I say about ghosts coming back, he said, is really true. He said his friend, uh, a couple, uh, an old couple, the were sleeping in their house uh, at night. Uh, in the middle of the night, uh, they heard a lot of noise in the garden. So the husband asked the wife to go to the window and see uh, who is making all that noise in the garden. So the wife went to the window and looked. Uh, there was no, nobody in the garden. Then they went back to sleep. And then again the noise, uh, a lot of noise in the garden. Again, she went to the uh, to the window to see. Uh, again, nobody. And then she thought, ah, why don't I look at the CCTV? And she went to the CCTV to look. Uh, she was shocked to see an old lady uh, sitting in the garden. Then she rushed to the window to look. Nobody. Then she rushed to the CCTV. Old lady. Rushed to the window. Nobody. Then slowly uh, they realized uh, this unseen being. They were very frightened and went back to bed. <laughs> Next day, they went to the medium to ask. You know what the medium told them? This uh, old lady yeah, was your nanny in a previous lifetime. You know, in old days, uh, this nanny, yeah, what they call uh, Laima, uh, uh, these, these uh, nannies, they look after the baby, also give them milk. So she was fed in a previous life. Now the nanny has become a ghost, very hungry. Who to turn to? And then she thinks of this person. Last time I gave her milk, surely she will help me. Uh, so that's why she comes back. That's why the Buddha said nah, that we have many relatives in the ghost realm. We have forgotten. Even previous life, nah, they come to us. But we have forgotten them. Nah. Yeah. That's why when we transfer married, nah, we don't think of one relative or two don't have to name them. You just say all my relatives, meaning uh, all who are related to me in some way, uh, even this nanny. Uh, 
transfer the merit to you, nah, you need it. Nah. So if we do this, nah, they are very happy with us, nah. then become, they become our kui jin, kui yen. Then they look after you, nah, protect you. Mm-hmm. So that is one story. Another story also very recently told to me by a devotee from SP. She said nah, that her mother passed away and then the anniversary day, nah, I don't know, one year or something uh, was coming up. Uh, then she remembered she has to do some dana for that, uh, for the mother. But just before that, that anniversary date, uh, uh, an uncle passed away. So when the uncle passed away, uh, then she was occupied with this uh, uncle and was thinking uh, she has to do merit for this uncle. So one day she saw two monks on arms round. So very happy, quickly went to buy some food, nah, thinking nah, to make this offering for the uncle who just passed away. Nah. So she said, nah, she went to this monk, knelt down nah, to offer to this monk. Nah. She saw the mother behind the monk, smiling so happily, you know. She had never seen the mother so happy. Then she, then she remembered our anniversary. <laughs> then she, she transferred the merit for the mother as well as the uncle. Nah. Mm. So you see, uh, they're waiting, waiting for you to help. So like this, uh, coming back to the house and uh, uh, letting you know that somebody is around. Uh. Why? Because he needs the help. Uh. So you must do this uh, offering uh, as many times as you can. Yeah. Mm. Uh, somebody is shy to talk. Bhante, I find it easy to try to practice mindfulness in my daily activities, that is, in speech, to be aware of my emotions, mood, and aware of my thoughts, that is, like those chatting in the mind, etc. For me, I find it more difficult to have a sitting meditation, as every time when I try to do sitting meditation, I would feel anxious or tense, and very difficult to bring my mind to a calm state. As a lay... Buddhist, to gain wisdom, is it necessary to practice a sitting meditation? Actually, meditation is very difficult uh, for everybody, including monks and nuns. Uh. Mm. So, I would advise uh, if you find difficulty in meditation to spend more time listening to the suttas. Uh. Okay. Uh, the other thing I like to say about meditation uh, is that uh, like, for example, mindfulness of the breath. Uh, a lot of people, uh, uh, when you practice mindfulness of the breath, uh, you try to focus on the breath. Uh, that is very difficult. Uh, firstly, because our mind, uh, the five hindrances are very strong. So you try to observe the breath. Uh, it's, it's as though there's a brick wall in front of you. You cannot see behind the brick wall. Uh, you cannot see the, the breath. Uh, yeah. If you try to meditate, anapanasati, uh, I would advise uh, that when you sit down, relax, uh, then firstly be aware of your body. Uh. Mm-hmm. This being aware of the body, just now I talked about sampajanya, mindfulness of the body. Uh. The Buddha said, uh, um, kaya gata sati, uh, mindfulness directed to the body uh, leads to the deathless. Uh, it's very important uh, to always direct your mindfulness to the body, uh, because you are, then you'll be in the here and now. Uh, yeah, first you direct your attention to the body, and then uh, 
be aware of your breathing. Don't try to look at the breath. Just be aware of the whole body breathing. It is much easier. And you won't get the samadhi headache. So just be aware of the breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. Don't look for it in a particular place. If you look for it in a particular place, you won't be able to see the breath. Is one problem. Second problem is you might get a headache. Or you might get very bored because you cannot see the breath at all. Okay. Pante. Yeah. I came to realize that, notice that uh, some cultivators like monks, they go for long period of uh, recruitment practice. So uh, how is it important to the cultivation of liberalization? You said that um, certain monks go for long seclusion and how is it helpful? If you are talking about meditation, meditation is something that you have to practice as often as you can to get your mind into that calm state as many hours as you can. Sometimes for monks like me in the monastery, I'm the CEO as well as the burokasa, the laborer, etc., uh, then I find it very difficult to meditate. No? That's why recently I went back to my old cave for one month uh, on Penang Hill. So that is one reason a monk goes. Uh, during the Buddha's time, a monk had to live with his teacher for five years, uh, basically to learn the suttas and the vinaya and also all the things that a monk should know. Uh, or five years at least. And after that, if the monk is capable of living alone, he'll be encouraged to go to live alone for as many years as he can. The only thing is not all monks are capable of living alone. When a monk lives alone, he needs very strong discipline. If he doesn't have very strong discipline, then because there's nobody watching him, He'll sleep more than he should. Yeah. Mm. So many monks find that they are not able to, to stay alone and practice. But if you are able to stay alone and practice for a monk, that is the best way, the fastest way to progress. Does satisfy you? Usually monks, are, they practice this way to get uh, wisdom or to get reparated. I, I think you need to listen more to the suttas. A lot of things uh, that you ask uh, can be found in the suttas if you listen. Uh, Bante, how about if uh, I were to, after like retirement, I practice in a more religion, diligent way? Is it too late from your view? Of course, of course. Thanks. Can I just mention one thing? A few years ago, in Tapa, a 45-year-old lady and her son 
were killed in an accident. And then after that, the you know, Chinese, uh, they like to employ these uh, Taoist people to come and do chanting no? for two nights. It was pretty costly, no? two nights, uh, 20,000. In spite of the chanting, uh, later they came to me no? because at night, no? three of them no? heard the ghost crying. No? Only three. So many people in the house, no? only three of them heard the ghost crying. So... That made them uh, doubtful uh, whether all that Taoist chanting actually helped their relative. So they came to me. Uh, mm. So now, why is it that only three people heard the crying? Because uh, these three people uh, were closest to the ghost, uh, to the disease. Uh. So when a person has passed away and gone to the ghost realm, and he needs help, uh, or she needs help, uh, that ghost will go to the loved ones uh, whom she thinks uh, has a chance of helping. Mm. That's why they come to us. Uh, we need to do something. If some of you have listened to my talks. Uh, I also mentioned many years ago when I went to live in a cave in Sumpang Polai. Uh, and this farmer told me uh, that the neighbor, the son, uh, 16 years old, used to go to the mining pond to fish and to swim and one day died. Uh, and the ghost came back every night, 11.30, yeah, and walk along the street, yeah, come to the house, stand in front of the gate and cry. And the parents were so disturbed, yeah, the parents moved away. Yeah. And then this ghost yeah, came back that night, yeah, and she realized, yeah, he realized that the parents were not there. Then he went to other houses. Yeah. Certain houses he could enter, certain houses he could not enter, I believe, yeah. So those houses that he could enter, he went to strangle the person in the house. So a few of them got strangled until they could not stand it. Then they called the Taoist Maosan people to catch this ghost, put it in a small urn, seal it, and throw it into the ocean, into the sea. So you see, because of not understanding, they do this. This boy has died and become a ghost, comes back crying for help. And nobody knows what to do to help him. On top of that, nah, because nobody helped him, nah, he grumbled. So I went to the and strangled people. And then uh, these people, nah, they can't stand him, they catch him and put him in prison in the sea. So out of ignorance, nah, we do harmful things. Nah. If, if they knew, nah, they would have been more compassionate. Nah. Offer nah, some like portal like that, uh, offer some food by the roadside. At least uh, the ghost will be happy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Venerable Sir, when I practice meditation, sometimes when you try to be aware of your breath, uh, thoughts will be coming in. Um, under the Satipatthana Sutta, there's also the Buddha said about be mindful of your thoughts. So, um, in this situation, are you supposed to concentrate, uh, be aware of the breath and just be mindful of the thoughts and let them go and continue in that manner or what to Bhante or Venerable suggests? Thank you. The question is, if you are meditating on your breath and thoughts arise, then you should pay attention to them. In the Buddha's uh, discourses, uh, 
the kind of meditation the Buddha approved uh, or praised uh, was the first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, and fourth jhana. Uh, this in the Majjhima Nikaya Suttasa. So the aim of meditation uh, is to attain the jhanas because uh, in the suttas the Buddha says uh, when a person attains the jhanas, uh, then the five hindrances are eliminated. So, when you are trying to meditate to attain tranquility, the jhanas, whatever that arises, you ignore it. In the Chinese Zen tradition, Chan Chong, they have a saying, more lie, more chan, four lie, four chan. Yeah? That means, if Mara comes, you cut him off, ignore him. If Buddha comes also, you cut him off, ignore him. In other words, whatever arises, whatever you see in meditation, whatever you hear in meditation, whatever you think in meditation, you just ignore it. Put your attention only on one object, for example, your breath. Yeah. But if you're not meditating, then you practice samasati. Samasati is to be aware of the nature of your body, your feelings, your mind, and the Dhamma. Yeah? So, if feelings arise, if they are not strong, you don't need to take note. But if strong feeling arises, for example, anger, then you need to take note. Yeah? And ask yourself, why? Why am I angry? Usually it's because of the ego. You cannot stand. It's not that you cannot stand. Your ego cannot stand. Yeah. <laughs> so you must be able to distinguish uh, your ego uh, from your yourself. Uh. So then you know uh, your ego is big. Uh. Then you must try to reduce your ego. Uh. Mm. So similarly, uh, if thoughts arise, uh, if they are good thoughts uh, or Reasonable thoughts, uh, you can ignore them. Uh, but if certain strong thoughts arise, uh, uh, like cruel thoughts, malicious thoughts, you want to harm somebody, um, and then you must ask yourself, uh, why? Um, uh, so, for a meditator, uh, if you are meditating, uh, you want to put your attention only on one object all the time. One object all the time. Uh, that to me is Satipatthana. Because the Buddha says in the Sutta, that if you practice Satipatthana in the right way, uh, it will lead to Samadhi, to one-pointedness of mind. But if you are not meditating uh, in your normal waking state, uh, then uh, feelings that arise and thoughts that arise, uh, be aware of them. Uh, to try to understand yourself. Try to understand your weaknesses and how you can correct your character because that is part of right effort. Right effort right effort is to get rid of unwholesome states of mind and to cultivate wholesome states of mind. So you can only do that if you are constantly aware of your mind. Okay? Yeah. During meditation, 
how to handle painful sensations during meditation. Well, if they are bearable, uh, we ignore them. Uh, yeah, but uh, the painful sensations can get more and more painful uh, until it becomes a distraction. If it becomes a distraction, uh, then you cannot put your attention on your breath or something. Uh, then you change the position of your legs. Uh. Change the position of your legs so that uh, you don't get the cramp uh, causing the pain. The pain is not at the sitting position. It's painful bodily sensations not caused by contact. Very intense pain. So In the mind? Not in the mind. Then? In the body. In the body? Yeah. Can you identify the part of the body? Yeah. Where? Uh, I've experienced on my hip. Only on the hip. The most painful, uh, the most painful one is at the hip. Very mm. painful. It's like a candle, you know, burning your flesh. One suggestion is maybe you go and have an X-ray. You know? <laughs> there might be a problem there. In normal waking hours, there's no pain. Sometimes, uh, is it after some time you meditate or is it immediately when you meditate? After some time. Okay. Our mind, uh, past thoughts, uh, sing into our mind. Uh, just like, uh, see, suppose you have a glass of water, a muddy water. Uh, okay. If you shake that muddy water, uh, uh, the, the, the mud rises. Yeah. If you leave it for a long time, the mud sinks down, settles down. Yeah. Mm. So our mind uh, is like the settled mud. A lot of things from the past uh, has settled down. Okay? Settled down. And then when we meditate, uh, we are going into our mind, deeper and deeper into our mind. As we go into our mind, uh, sometimes things from the past uh, can come up. Okay? So things that we have forgotten. Uh, for example, one old lady asked me like, many years ago, she said uh, when she meditates, uh, Initially, it's okay. After some time, uh, she's unable to breathe, la, very suffocating. She asked me why. I said, there's a possibility in your previous life, uh, you may have drowned. Uh, so you have forgotten about it. Na. But when you meditate, na, this thing surfaces. Uh, so she finds it so hard to breathe. La. Mm. In the Nikayas, is painful sensation part of the Buddhistic? As a meditative experience. Uh, as I mentioned just now, if you are meditating to attain one-pointedness of mind, you should have only one object. But if you are not sitting down in meditation, then you can contemplate. Thank you. Uh, Bhante, in Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha said uh, that he or she avoids contemplating in- internally or externally, or both internally and externally. Could Bhante help to clarify what uh, did the Buddha mean by externally and provide some examples on how to practice that? That is uh, more for a serious uh, meditator, like a monk, for example, contemplating the body, contemplating the nature of your body. And for example, during the, monk, the, 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 the Buddha's time, they were contemplating, they will contemplate the nature of a corpse, uh, as an external body, you know. 
your corpse. Mm. Then uh, feelings also, your own feelings and other people's feelings. Mm. How your own feelings affect you, how other people's feelings affect you. Mm. Then your own thoughts and other people's thoughts. Yeah. Okay. We'll take one last question for tonight. But if you all have many questions, I don't mind going on. Uh, Bante, I recently read a book, a book uh, that say uh, uh, for the first precepts, uh, uh, we should avoid the kampong chicken eggs because according to the write-up, it's, uh, it's already got consciousness. So I would like to hear. Mm. The book says to avoid kampung chicken eggs huh? because uh, kampung chicken eggs huh, are supposed to be fertilized. Lah. So they have life. Lah. That's why uh, we are not advised to eat them. Lah. But those from the poultry farms, huh, they are not fertilized. Uh, so you can eat them. Lah. So what what do you want? I want to know. Yes, yeah. better not. Nah. Can I talk, Bante? Uh, I come from a Mahayana background, so I do not know what it, it is about the five nikayas you just mentioned. Say again. It, uh, I come from a Mahayana background, and I do not know what is the nikayas. Is, is it recorded in any CD where I can listen to it or where can I get hold of this? Yes, you see Brother A.B. Lim. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The Nikayas are the original teachings of the Buddha. Hmm? Yeah. There are many things. I also come from a Mahayana background. There are many things. If you want to know, you come and see me. You're not in Kuala Lumpur, right? I know, you have to come to Timor. To, uh, <laughs> Is there any email or connection to the email? Yeah, but I don't like to answer email. <laughs> Is it recorded in the CD's form? Oh yes, you see Brother A.B. Oh, Lim. Okay. Mm. Thank you. Uh, Reverend, uh, may I ask a very simple question regarding nimitta in meditation? Regarding yeah, what in meditation? Nimitta. Well, sometimes when we meditate, we see in our mind screen lights. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, uh, for a long time, I don't see things like that. But I see lights when I'm not meditating. <laughs> I, I just like to know how to get rid of that or, or I just don't be bothered about it. I suggest you don't be bothered about it. It doesn't uh, harm you. But there is... Uh, Danger in some meditations, uh, like uh, they call it uh, visual meditations. Uh, they look at a, a picture, say like Kuan Yin, uh, or they call Tara. They open their eyes, look at it, and then close their eyes, try to visualize it. Then open their eyes and close their eyes. Keep on doing that. Uh, after a long time, it stays in the mind. So then they close their eyes, they can see the Tara. That, that Kuan Yin. But the danger is that when they open their eyes also, they see. And then they become frightened. They don't want to see also, it follows them. Uh, so there's a danger with this visualization. 
Okay. Thank you very much, Venerable Dhamma Buddha, for the inspiring Dhamma question and answer session. Let us show our gratitude and appreciation to Venerable by saying sadhu three times together. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs>